Uai, how are you? Good, good. How's it going? Good. Nice to meet you finally. Yeah, nice to meet you. By the way, where, where, are, you, where are you staying at the moment? I'm currently in New Jersey. It's, uh, oh, okay. you're familiar with it? Yeah, yeah I'm familiar. <laughs> cool. So you're in Dubai right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Dubai at the moment. Cool. So I guess to start us off, why don't yeah. you give me a little backstory about yourself? Okay, sure. <laughs> I can do that. Um, so, so actually, I'm, um, I'm an architect. So I graduated uh, with a uh, degree of uh, science and architecture. Uh, it was a five-year uh, degree, a bachelor's degree. Um, after that, um, to be honest, uh, I'm always kind of not into the, uh, you know, typical um, way of architecture or, or, to be honest, in anything. Like I'm more into uh, technology and, and, and all of the uh, new things that could help push uh, whatever we're doing in the world uh, forward. So immediately after I finished my, uh, my bachelor's degree, I, I did work for uh, one year. But then after I did a master's degree in, in advanced design and digital architecture, um, where I uh, really got more into focus with uh, digital fabrication techniques. Um, and one of them was 3D printing and, and robotics. Um, and, and quickly I started uh, to shift more towards that direction. Um, so I did um, have a chance to I always had a passion also to, to work with parametric design uh, tools. Uh, my main uh, software to go to go to software was uh, Rhino and Grasshopper. Um, I just love that uh, flexibility. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Grasshopper, but Grasshopper yeah, sure. is a yeah, parametric design software. It gives you almost ultimate freedom in uh, design, um, uh, ge geometrical uh, shapes, um, flexibility. Um, and it also saves you a lot of time uh, into uh, making iterations of, the, of multiple types of designs or what you're, what you're aiming to do. Uh, so to couple that with, with, with digital fabrication and robotics, uh, it kind of uh, came to a, a perfect fit, right? Because you have digital, fab uh, digital fabrication uh, tools on one, one side and you have uh, parametric design on the other. And the marriage of those both, it's just, it just works perfectly because uh, you know, in digital fabrication, you do not want to uh, generate uh, your code uh, every single time. Uh, and, and having parametric design uh, be available for you uh, to assist on that uh, aspect, it just enables you to have ultimate freedom and flexibility and speed. Uh, because today, actually, when I, when I go into designing uh, an object, a sculpture, a furniture, architectural element, whatever it is, uh, I can quickly come back to create a second version, a third version, or a fourth version, depending on feedback from, from uh, various uh, consultants or the clients. And immediately the, the fabrication uh, code is also there available for me um, without any delay. And then we can directly step into fabrication uh, without having any delay and, and deliver the project uh, within uh, a few days. Um, so that's what I'm doing here in Dubai. I did before I, I did uh, digital uh, before I did digital fabrication, and in this case, uh, focus on 3D concrete printing. Um, I did do uh, work in, in a typical architectural uh, firm environment, 
Um, I worked uh, on one of uh, the biggest Middle East uh, infrastructure projects with a company, with a Dutch company called Arcadis. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Arcadis. Uh, it's a Dutch designing consultancy. And uh, I was working in Doha, Qatar, uh, for a year and a half on uh, the Doha uh, Metro, uh, which was uh, basically in preparation for the upcoming World Cup. So they had, uh, we had designed a full metro system. Um, so I worked on, on two uh, lines, uh, the red line and the gold line. They are color specific. Uh, and that was, that, that specific project, we delivered one of the uh, most outstanding BIM uh, architectural and engineering deliveries uh, to the project. Um, and, and still today, um, you know, the, my, my previous company, which is Arcadis, uh, they work on different uh, projects today, but they, we, we always go back, uh, the colleagues, we always go back to that specific project just to, to com contemplate and think like how BIM managed uh, to do miracles in that project uh, in terms of uh, coordination, um, solving uh, clashes and problems with different engineering disciplines. Um, so that also, uh, you know, prepped me uh, for 3D concrete printing because now we're, we're one of the applications is obviously uh, housing um, and having that all of that uh, BIM knowledge uh, also really helps uh, with this kind of new technology because you, you also want to make sure that you are uh, using the tools uh, that enable you to, to deliver a successful project and, and having uh, BIM and Revit um, as a, as a kind of uh, the way to, to implement the project uh, helps uh, making the, the delivery of the project successful. So yes, today I'm, I'm, I'm with this uh, 3D concrete printing in Dubai. Cool. So it's what I've heard about parametric design uh, from other people that are doing 3D printed concrete is it's like a symbiotic relationship so that the design software the design software has been around for years and it's been pretty capable, but people come up with creative designs that are almost impossible to build by hand because there's so many curvatures and details that it would require such like a fine level of accuracy that it would just be time consuming for a person to do. But with giant 3D printers for construction, you can take these curvaceous 3D models that you can generate and make them at a more cost-effective basis than you would be able to otherwise is that correct yeah yeah that's definitely correct um, you could you could always you know up like parametric design tools they have uh, many uh, different advantages advantages and, and tools that you can uh, utilize one of them is optimization tools uh, and, and in the way of optimization tools you can adapt 3d concrete printing um, as an application to finally optimize your structure and building um, to, to reach your goals, whatever your goals are in optimization. So it definitely helps a lot with, uh, with the 3D concrete printing today. So it sounds like the software is kind of taking a portion of the structural engineering workload and running calculations. So the software has, has capacity to, to run uh, structural calculations, uh, of course, but um, in, in the project that we've worked on, we, we did not utilize that uh, potential yet. Um, we do the structural calculations with uh, more uh, traditional uh, softwares. One of them uh, 
uh, is I'm not I'm not expert on them because I'm not really a structural engineer. engineer. But one of the projects, uh, one of the software, sorry, uh, was Diana, I think, and uh, Etabs. That's what I hear from my colleagues. So uh, we we still uh, you know it like uh, send the, the the model back and forth between architectural, for example, Revit and and Rhino, mm -hmm. and uh, the traditional structural uh, engineering programs to kind of. Uh, uh, fix and adapt and optimize. So to my understanding, when you're in school to be an architect, a huge portion of your course load is learning about traditional uh, design styles and all the different um, ways throughout history that people have been building. And really almost all architecture fits into some of those categories um, of like the traditional models, right? Yeah. Was that your experience in university or did you have like a more open-minded experience? Well, that, that's what I was uh, being uh, taught in university. But of course, I'm, I'm always open-minded and I always uh, didn't want any kind of uh, prehistoric uh, methods or architectural ways to kind of dictate uh, what I will be doing or, or how I should be designing as an architect. And actually, that's a really good point and a good question that you're asking because many times I'm looking at architecture today uh, and some of the designs that we are doing for 3D concrete printing uh, are kind of tied to the traditional mindset that we have. And it, it brings a, a huge question, uh, which is, do we really adapt 3D concrete printing technologies to the traditional methods? Or is there another way to go to, to better utilize 3D concrete printing? Because I personally think to, to match 3D concrete printing with traditional uh, structural and architectural styles, it's, it's not matching. Uh, we, we've, been, we've been working with it for the past uh, uh, months and years. It, it just doesn't click, it doesn't match. There must be um, newly thought of and, and uh, uh, like innovative uh, ways to, to, to bring 3D concrete printer, printing uh, using different uh, structural and architectural techniques. So definitely that's a, that's a, it's, it's an eye opener when you're working with a new technology. So when you were in university, were they exposing you to like cutting edge technologies and stuff like that? Or no. was it really your own initiative? No, no, they weren't really uh, pushing me to, to, to uh, new technologies. And part of that, because, you know, the new technologies are really recent. You know, I graduated from university, uh, oh my God, when did I graduate? Uh, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, 3D concrete, 3D printing was not a, was not a thing back then. Like in your, nor your normal desktop printer was not that famous as it is today. Um, other building techniques were not uh, really uh, popular. So no, we, we, what I was taught was a more traditional approach. And to be honest, I, I never really was into it because uh, it just, for me, was, it was as if these techniques are, are there since uh, year, like years, hundreds of years. Why should I go explore more into it? It's been saturated and explored for, for, for quite a time. Let's look into something new. Yeah, I totally get that. I agree 100%. Uh, and I think that most people in this space agree with you and are looking for like kind of the future. That's why people get interested in automated construction, automated anything, I guess. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I guess there's a lot of younger people in this space. It's not a lot of like 
gray-haired construction CEOs that have been doing work for like hundreds of years as GCs or whatever. It's mostly people who are kind of like learning as they go and like you're working at a bigger company though, B6 uh, supports yeah. B6 3D, right? Yes, that's right. So how does that like organizational structure work? How independent from B6 is B6 3D? So uh, we're not, uh, so just to give you a little bit of background on how B6 3D came about. Uh, so B6 itself, we, we have a kind of a, uh, innovation program. Uh, it's called Unleash, uh, where it, it asks uh, young engineers, uh, professional engineers, to come up with new uh, ideas, uh, innovative ideas, and how, how we can uh, push construction into, into uh, innovation. And B6-3D, 3D concrete printing, uh, was one of those ideas that was chosen, um, and was, was chosen to be actually implemented in real life. And that was uh, around four years ago when the idea was initially proposed. Um, over that period, a lot, of, a lot of research has been done. And uh, B6-3D, the, the actual 3D printing studio, was opened in December 2018 uh, here in Dubai. And then when, when that's the time when we actually started uh, hands-on experimenting, working, developing the material, developing the structures, uh, all, all of those things. Uh, so today, B6-3D, uh, we're, we're very dependent, of course, on, on uh, our engineering department, for example, because uh, we need structural feedback, uh, we need uh, support, uh, even from our different departments, for example, uh, our um, lifting department, our methods department, you know, these, the, the thing is, we are working with a robotic arm, so we, we produce uh, in, a, in a similar way to a prefab uh, factory. So we 3D print uh, a large uh, structure, could be one and a half tons of concrete in our studio, and then comes the question, how do we transport it? Well, what are we going to do with this? Like, so so we, we heavily depend on uh, expertise from our other engineering departments, uh, how to lift it, um, how to prop it, uh, how to stack if in, in case that we are building a multi-layer uh, wall for example of three or four uh, wall segments 3d printed wall segments we need to understand how do we how do we connect them together uh, what type of uh, layer we, we are going to use to bond them uh, you know how to lift one uh, on top of the other uh, because many times in the early stages we were uh, reverting to lifting these heavy structures from the bottom because that kind of keeps the whole structure in, in, in compression and, and mm -hmm. you wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, having to worry about failure in the structure. Uh, but then when we went one step ahead, uh, where we are building a wall with three or four uh, layers, then when we, if we lift it from the bottom, for example, and, and place it on, on, the sec on the first layer of walls, how do you get rid of that uh, lifting growth, for example? So then we have to shift uh, in the way that we think and we, we need to think, okay, for example, we need to find a way to lift it from the top so that we, when we place it on the first layer, it's clear and there's no, uh, no like, uh, uh, left material, for example. So, so there's always some challenges that, challenges that we're facing and we're, we're heavily dependent on our different departments in the company. And, and that's what's great about uh, our, our department, B6 3D. We've managed to actually advance a lot 
because we have all that support. If we were just an independent department uh, by ourselves, there's a lot of questions that we cannot answer by ourselves. You know? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that it's very useful to have um, a more experienced company kind of backing you and supporting the work that you guys are doing. You have printed a lot of projects and I was scrolling yeah. through your, uh, the B6-3D LinkedIn post. You guys have yeah. printed all kinds of like chairs, benches, um, the newest building you built, the facade. That's in addition to your office building? Yes, yeah, so uh, in Dubai, we, we've uh, built to, uh, in addition to the head office, uh, the existing head office, was, which was there for 50 years in Dubai, we've built two additional buildings. Um, and there we, we saw a chance uh, to, to implement one of the applications of this 3D concrete printing technologies. It was like, why don't we go ahead and 3D print the whole facade? Yeah, I mean, that seems really meaningful to me because for a company with a lot of construction experience, not just with 3D printed construction, when they're building their own building, you have to imagine they're putting a lot of consideration into like the, picking the best materials and making something that's going to last a long time. Um, and as a construction company, you imagine that they'd put maybe even more effort into their own building than some project that they're doing because they're going to be there for such a long time. They care about it. So it's meaningful that they would choose for a big portion of the addition of the building to be 3D printed. I'm wondering if it's a facade, is it just the exterior that shows the layers or can they be seen from the inside as well? Um, no, it's only the exterior. It's, um, it's similar to your cladding, uh, your stone cladding. Yeah, uh, sure. For example. Uh, GRFC, uh, marble cladding, uh, any type of stone cladding. So it's, it's basically attached uh, only on the exterior. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, we have in this building, there's uh, curtain walls running from the ground to the top. So when you're standing close to, to one of those curtain walls, you can easily uh, look outside and you would see the whole panel in front of you. Ah. So it is visible from inside the building, but it is attached to the exterior. Yeah. So it's not structural. Just it is not structural. Yes, exactly. It's just a cladding. Cool. So being in Dubai that's where they have the initiative where 30 percent of new buildings need to be 3d printed by 2030 um yes, yes, exactly. so in your experience i've heard people say like dubai says that but then they're not super helpful in pursuing permitting or financing and stuff like that um what has your experience been like there uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, Jared, it's a, it's a new field for everyone. Yeah. Here. Even even in municipalities uh, and, and the, the clients and the construction companies. So what's been happening here is it's it's kind of like everyone is trying to uh, to understand this technology by themselves. You know, like say for example, we as a construction company, we we perfected the technology, we understood it inside and out, and we come and propose it to to the municipality, for example if they themselves they don't understand it and they experience it on the on a first uh, degree level uh, they won't be able to to communicate with us about what's what's happening you know about the technology so i think what they are trying to do is also uh, work on research projects um, by themselves which they have dubai municipality was able to to print a, a two-story building maybe maybe you've seen it which was also the largest 3d printed building in the world Mm -hmm. um, so they have been working also in the background uh, on, on trying to understand 
how this technology works and what is what what is what does it mean in terms of permit permitting and, and etc. Uh, for us, definitely it, because we work with new projects here, three D printing projects, it's also a challenge. So whenever we have uh, a project to permit, we go go to to the authorities and uh, we're faced uh, with the fact that we're the first per people uh, applying for a similar kind of uh, permit. Um, so it takes time. It takes time, and it's it's still uh, under, uh, undergoing the, the process of um, getting those permits and getting the people who are are or are responsible for issuing those permits to understand the technology. So we're trying our best to work together with them uh, in collaborations and, and in, in close proximity to 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 also teach them what we're doing uh, and make them understand so we can all benefit uh, together and, and we, we know how to move forward and how the, the permitting process should be, uh, should be taking place. Sure, that's a good answer. So for all the fields in 3D printed construction, you have like the software, you have the hardware, you have the materials, and then you also have like general construction and just having a construction project that has like 3D printing with it and also the material. So of all those things, um, what's the primary focus of B6-3D? It seems to me like it's more about the software and the general construction process. So, you know, because we're coming from a, a general contractor mindset. So meaning that we, uh, we, we finish a project from A to Z. Uh, we do the structure, we do the architectural, the finishes, uh, everything. So B6 3D, um, we're, we're in the mindset to, uh, in this, we have a mindset uh, that also applies the same concept. So we do not only focus on one aspect. Uh, of course, we've 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 tried to develop uh, different areas in the technology, which is software, um, uh, materials, uh, structures, and etc. Uh, and we're trying to experiment with different different applications um, because we also think that focusing on only one aspect or one one application for this technology doesn't really guarantee you that it's going to be the one uh, leading in, in, the, in the construction sector. Um, so we do develop different ones and we see what's the, the market's response and the client's interest uh, in, that, in that sense. Uh, but we do have a mindset that we, so actually today, just to uh, give you an example, we have a project, uh, it's, it's a design and build project, it's from A to Z. We construct it fully and deliver it finished uh, to the client. Uh, it's a 3D concrete printing project. Um, I, it's still kind of a private project. I, I, we're not allowed to uh, disclose uh, the client or the project, but sure. within the next uh, three months, three to four months, um, it's go going to be finished. Uh, and it's going to be one of a kind project uh, on a world, world uh, large scale. Very cool. The printer that you guys use, you use a robotic arm, a KUKA robotic arm, right? Yes, that's true. So is the printer head that you've developed a custom printer head or did you outsource that from another company? Yes, yeah, so we, we, um, you know, we have uh, partnerships with different uh, companies. So um, we have a close relationship with the university in Eindhoven. Uh, 
Um, okay. You've, you've uh, seen some of their work. And we also have a good relationship with a Dutch design uh, company called Vitrine and Bosch. Uh, they're also working on a lot of uh, 3D concrete pro projects in Netherlands and, and Europe. Uh, so that specific uh, design for the nozzle, it was in collaboration with Vitrine and Bosch. Um, and we've stuck to that uh, nozzle uh, ever since uh, we started uh, the studio. Cool. So I guess you guys are open to different printers, um, different hardwares, if the technology yeah, develops. Yes, definitely. I mean, to be like today, what we're doing, as I as I said earlier, that we're doing kind of a prefabrication uh, style um, factory. So we we still uh, manufacture smaller uh, sized uh, elements, and then we ship them on to site and assemble them together, uh, whatever the the mechanism the methodology was. But enable to to move into a larger scale, uh, into two story buildings, for example. Uh, hundreds of, of square of meter meter squares, uh, you would need to probably uh, use a larger scale printer, uh, whether it be it on site or off site. Uh, that is also one of the factors that that come into play when you when you kind of uh, make a decision for that type of project. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about the advantages of parametric design? Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, so parametric design, um, I'm going to split it into two, right? I'm going to uh, talk about parametric design uh, by itself and uh, how parametric design, especially with digital fabrication tools, um, um, adds value. So parametric design by itself is, is basically uh, getting rid of the, of the traditional manual uh, design, sketching, and modeling techniques. Um, and more turning into more of a kind of a, uh, parameters based design. So basically, it, it is a coding. So basically, um, Grasshopper is made in a programming language called Python. Um, but it's instead of actual codes, you are uh, dealing with nodes, like visual, visual nodes, which represent those codes, right? Um, so for example, you would be uh, creating uh, mathematically, uh, you're creating the uh, curves uh, and 3D geometries using that kind of uh, programming language background. And instead of um, doing the sketching with, with your hand uh, and entering uh, the number uh, and drawing whatever you need to draw and then extruding it uh, and creating geometry out of it, you are designing um, a base code um, with that has uh, a lot of numbers, for example, uh, those numbers are called parameters, and these parameters enable you can easily change those parameters uh, in order to uh, affect uh, or change the end goal or the end end geometry. Uh, which means if I if I um, make a, a circle and I have uh, control over the radius of the circle, instead of drawing a, a circle that has uh, 50 centimeter uh, diameter and then uh, later on in, in a design stage I want it to be 60 or 70 uh, centimeters in diameter I would have it uh, in a slider where I can just change that slider and it automatically changes uh, those uh, those uh, geometry uh, uh, those geometries 
uh, and that can be implemented on a more complicated and more advanced type of uh, uh, geometry that you are, you're designing. Um, so in that sense, it kind of cuts um, the necessity to uh, regenerate and remodel and resketch every time you, you have a change in your design. Um, and it also uh, allows you uh, a way to explore more, more possibilities. Uh, because you have some kind of uh, generative design tools also that you can use, uh, which basically uh, you can uh, program a code that um, basically you are, you are telling it to find you certain uh, geometries depending on criteria or end goal criteria that you want. So give me, for example, a, if, you, if you use um, uh, environment, there's also, the, the thing is about Grassword, there's everything in it. Like everything that you can imagine, you can find in it. Physics engine, uh, you have um, uh, environmental uh, analysis uh, tools. So for example, you can design a, uh, and one of the, one of the examples that I, that I did actually for uh, here in Dubai was a bus, um, a bus station stop. And I used a, um, a plugin for Grasshopper, which basically uh, can calculate the amount of radiation that uh, a certain surface or geometry is being, um, 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 how do you call it, exposed to. So from the sun. Yeah, from the sun. So basically, you can you can tell this you can you can write this algorithm and basically tell it find me uh, the most uh, suitable geometry that can block the most amount of sun. Uh, in this location. So it will give you different iterations uh, of geometries, options, hundreds of options. Um, and it would finally give you the, the most suitable shape that blocks the most amount of sun, for example. Um, so, so that's the, 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 ben the benefits of parametric design that you are not restrict restricted to your personal uh, design preferences. Because in a, in a more typical uh, architectural method, you, you envision a design, uh, you come up with a concept, uh, you draw it, you sketch it, and you, you try to implement it uh, in, a, in a 3D manner, or 3D uh, software. But with parametric design tools, you are not uh, anymore the, the, the creator of the design uh, from your mere imagination. You are creating a code uh, to, to serve a, per a certain purpose, and then the software would generate you those geometries. So, you are still a designer, and sometimes when I talk about this this type of uh, methods, people are are telling me, "Yeah, well, you're getting uh, rid of the role of the architect," but it's not true. Uh, you are still dictating uh, a lot of parameters and restrictions to the software because the software can can create you anything, right? It could create you uh, a completely uh, fuzzled geometry that is not usable. So you you uh, like. Um, your role as an architect in this in this situation is to define the limitations, define the goals, define what you're trying to reach, and and get uh, a really um, practical and uh, accurate result at the end from this from this uh, tool. That's the first aspect about parametric design. Maybe I've missed some things, you know, because it's it's, it's a really big uh, topic. Definitely. The second the second uh, aspect of it, if you connect it with digital fabrication tools, again any uh, changes um, to the to this, the geometry itself because when we work with the concrete for example there's the material itself um, um, gives you a lot of restrictions sometimes like 
in terms of um, slopes, uh, overhangs, uh, concrete is still concrete when, when you're printing with concrete, uh, but we, you know um, how it is. It means you, you cannot print a surface like that, for example. You need to be restricted to certain angles, certain curvatures, certain geometries. Uh, so, so when you are experimenting with these new materials and, and, and 3D concrete, concrete printing technologies, uh, parametric design is, is amazing. Why? Because any kind of changes you want to um, apply uh, to, to the geometry to enhance it. Uh, for example, instead of having this slope, you want to enhance it a little bit, the curvatures, um, other restrictions, whether it's, it's the hardware restrictions of the robot, the software restrictions, or the material restrictions, you can easily adopt it in parametric design. And immediately after five, 10 minutes, you're there to print the second uh, version or the second, second iteration of your geometry. Mm -hmm. So it kind of speeds up the process of reaching to a really uh, printable um, and practical design. So, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like you can create a design from, you can draw the whole design or you can draw a design that can redraw itself almost. And exactly. if you just change one parameter, like if you want to shift a wall a certain amount, maybe it'll know to shift the outlets and the light fixtures and the beams, if there's any beams or rebar that needs to be there. Um, yeah, that sounds incredibly valuable, especially because there are always revisions to the drawings. Um, usually it's not like the first drawing is the one that gets built most of the time. Um, so to be able to do that in one move of a slider, instead of clicking a hundred lines, figuring out what to erase, what not to erase, um, and redoing it by hand, it just makes so much more sense, I guess. I could imagine it would be frustrating for architects that learned a completely different style to have to kind of abandon what they're used to and learn a whole new way of designing um, with parameters instead of thinking of it as like set positions. Um, but you're in a unique position, I guess. You've been using this technology since the beginning of your career as an architect, right? Yes, ex exactly. Actually, uh, parametric design was something that I was always uh, into uh, on, a, on a personal interest level. So I started it while I was in the university. Even in, in my third year of university, I started exploring it, working with it. Uh, even Revit and BIM was always fascinating to me, uh, how you can capture all of the information of, of the architectural project in a software. Um, and, and I started working with it and I, uh, I, 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 you know, I never thought that um, that at some point it would be so valuable as it is today. Um, because back then when I was using it, you know, like, and I, and I, I went to specialize in it in, in my master's, still these technologies, these construction technologies were not available. They were not, they were, they were, of course, they were available to a certain extent, but they were not that advanced that today we are like, as we're using them as we are using them. So when I was doing my master's, for example, and, and doing all of this uh, digital fabrication and parametric design and everything, many of my more traditional colleagues that would look at me and be like, like, like dude, what are you, like, what are you doing? Like, look at 99% of the, of the architectural studios. Like, nobody needs this stuff. Like, yeah. Nobody wants it, nobody uses it. Like, uh, in Germany, for example, I have also um, uh, uh, lived one year in Germany where I did 
six months of uh, learning in the, in the university, and I had to do six months of internship uh, during my bachelor's degree. Uh, I, I learned that a lot of German uh, design companies they are they tend to be really more tr traditional. Uh, they they do not they do not kind of go um, outside of the of the norms uh, when it comes to an architectural project. It's just the way uh, most of these uh, companies are, and they are comfortable with. Uh, and a lot of clients are happy with that. Not not a lot of clients are asking for crazy stuff. Uh, you know what I mean? So still, it was kind of challenging for me to to convince people that what I what I'm studying or what I'm interested in could be valuable in in one way or or, or another. Well, your timing was good because it's more valuable now than ever before. Yeah, I'm so happy that's the, that's the case. So the material that you guys use, you develop your own materials to print with? So we are working with uh, Sika. Uh, it's, uh, it's a huge uh, concrete yeah. uh, company. You're probably familiar with them. Um, and they have uh, a factory here in Dubai. Um, so we work together hand in hand with them. Uh, ever we, we opened the, the 3D printing studio to develop the material. Uh, there was a base material that was developed by the team, uh, by the Sika team. And um, of course, you never have a final result from the first uh, kind of mix or sure. first design of, uh, of the material. So we had to, we worked over six months uh, continuously, week in, week out, to develop this material together with them. Uh, we print in our 3D printing uh, facility uh, and, and we invite them always and we uh, give them feedback on uh, what's not working for us uh, in terms of material properties, for example, that uh, the material doesn't uh, set uh, as fast as it should. Uh, so when you are printing three, four layers, uh, the lower layers are, are not uh, set fast enough that the whole uh, structure collapses, for example. Uh, on the other extreme, if the material sets too fast, which we had that uh, in, in some of the material that we, we were testing with them, if the material sets too fast, uh, then it ends up clogging your uh, holes, which we use to deliver the, the concrete from the mixer. Yeah. So it plugs your holes. You don't have, you don't have any way to, to pump that concrete anymore. Uh, so you need to, to find that fine, fine balance between both extremes uh, to, to have a material that could build up um, in a proper way so you can build a two-meter wall, for example. Uh, and that's just one of, the, one of the aspects, for example. I'm just giving you an example. I think I heard somewhere that Sika is experimenting with geopolymers. Um, I'm not really familiar. I've, I'm, I haven't seen any any work on that, but probably they could, could be. Yeah, they're a lot, they're a big materials company. Um, maybe they are, I guess. So do you guys use rebar or other supports when you're printing the prefabricated objects? Um, so it depends. It depends on the type of uh, geometry we're printing. If it's, uh, uh, we've had some cases where we needed to use it, uh, and we had some cases where we don't need to use it, but generally we do not need to use it. Like, like if you are, want to pick it up from the top part of it, you, you need rebar oh. to. So so yeah, like t today, uh, for example, the way we're we're handling that is by uh, introducing lifting hooks into the structure after printing. Uh, mm -hmm. We we can't do it while printing because the material is so sensitive and fresh. So we need to allow it to to set properly. 
uh, and then after that, sometimes we do uh, additional uh, casting afterwards uh, with hooks, and then we lift it wherever we need, and then we can detach those hooks. Uh, so yeah. The, hook, the, the, the rebar is, is mainly used to, in ways that we need to lift uh, uh, the object or support it. Do you experience, I guess since most of the objects you're printing are like kind of modular, so they're not like a single huge monolithic wall or anything, but do you encounter like cracks often? Um, so that was um, one of the topics that we uh, had to address with Sika uh, in terms of development of the material. Uh, today, the material that we, we achieved is the final material that we've been using for over a year now. It does not crack. Um, it, it does not shrink. Um, it, it could withstand a lot of uh, high, high, high temperature degrees. Uh, and it's just, it's, maybe you've seen in the pictures, it has this uh, white color uh, that it's also really desirable for many of the clients because when you're using concrete, typically you're talking about the dark grayish uh, color that people are associating concrete with. But when you um, introduce it in a way that it has a, a, a kind of a new color, as simple as it is, people are, are looking at it in a different way. And it kind of differentiates 3D printing uh, concrete for us from your typical concrete. Yeah, that's a great point and a good strategy. The, the recent layers that you guys have been getting, are they seem incredibly uniform and smooth. And that's another, like, it looks discernibly different, especially when it has a different color from traditional concrete. And when the layers look so smooth and organized like that, it's almost like artisan. Um, yeah. A lot of companies you can see the layers are kind of like wonky, not even, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it definitely takes away from the appeal of a 3D printed house. Like, yeah, it's still cool that it's automated, but it's not going to hit the like high market value that you have like in Dubai, where people expect a certain level of quality finish. That's that's one hundred percent true, and it's a comment that we've we've been receiving from a lot of our clients is like. Um, of course, you have uh, two kind of opinions uh, on this topic. Um, many of our clients are really amazed and, and they are impressed with the, with, the, with the quality of the finish. As you mentioned, like we've been able uh, to achieve that nice, smooth finish. Um, not 100%, of course, uh, but in a, to a certain uh, uh, degree that it's, it's more or less uh, uniform. Um, some, some clients, on the other hand, uh, we get questions that, um, so are you able, are you going to finish this product or are you going to leave it as is? Uh, and, and depending, you know, like you can get a client that, that tells you, I want it to be finished and smooth, like a normal wall. You can get another client that says, no, I, I love it as it is. It's representing the technology where it's coming from. Leave it as it is, you know. Uh, but, but like as of today, we like, I could say over 75%. Uh, of, of the people that are our clients or the people that we've worked with, they wanted to leave it as it is in the white color with the layers showing so it could represent uh, where, it's, where it's coming from. Uh, but it, it also has been a challenge, you know, to reach that uh, kind of smooth layer, um, consistent and, and the texture and the quality looks nice. It, it hasn't been easy. We've, we've done a lot of learning on how to achieve this. So uh, there, there's a lot of things involved to, to achieving a nice finish like a big big um, percentage comes um, from the material the mix itself 
because uh, you can get a chunky material. You can pump a ch chunky material, but you will never uh, receive a, a smooth, nice finish from it, right? Because it has uh, bigger aggregates and it will always have a sharp, sharp uh, piece coming out, sticking out, so you will not have a nice, smooth finish. Could come from the mixer itself. Um, that the, the mixer itself has its limitations also. And uh, today, you know, there isn't one uh, specifically developed 3D concrete mixer. There are a few, but there are not a lot. Um, we're still using typically the more traditional uh, mixers that are not really uh, designed to be used for 3D printing, but we're using them anyway because that's the only thing available in the market. Um, we're hoping that actually uh, the, the, the design for new 3D concrete printing uh, mixers are, are being developed. Because there's uh, there's a lot of settings that you want to tweak and control while you're doing 3D concrete printing. Yeah, I had a conversation with um, a couple other startups about this, and they had kind of tried to develop their own. One had tried to develop their own um, that had kind of sensors and mm -hmm. could restrict the flow. Um, the other company was using a bigger company's pump and they had similar complaints like there's not enough control yet over over the mixes but that seems like a okay problem to have because it's achievable to fix it we're at a place where the engineering capabilities of companies is like high enough that when they get that feedback i think they'll be able to develop a pump that meets your specifications um and i think they have to think of it more as 3d printing and less of concrete because you already have programs like, um, like I have a Prussia printer, which is just a desktop 3D printer that prints with plastic. And it has the Prussia slicer, and the slicer software has all these options for what material you're using, the size of the extruder, um, and all kinds of different options. So I guess as the industry advances as a whole, those developments will like become more readily available to you, uh, and you'll have more tools in your repertoire. So, have you ever read a book by any chance called The Fountainhead? Uh, no, I haven't. By Ayn Rand? I think you'd like it. It's about an architect who goes to an architecture school and okay. he, he ends up uh, hating it because they're only teaching him about the old styles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he does these designs that are kind of like not fitting into the old methods. Um, okay. They end up like... I don't know. I don't want to tell you too much about the story, but it's a great book, The Fountainhead by Anne Rand. The uh, Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. All right. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be definitely interested in reading that. Yeah, it's, he goes into all kinds of very unique uh, architecture, and he tries to do like a, um, a project that's kind of like for low-income, affordable housing mm -hmm. stuff, and mm -hmm. it's just a huge, great story. Um, you yeah, reminded yeah. me of it a lot when you were just telling me about how, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. being an architect, um, thinking outside yeah, the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you actually reminded me of some situations now when you talk about that, of some of the discussions I've, I've had with my professors. It's like, sometimes, like, I was lucky that the professors are allowing me to pass uh, the subject, <laughs> just because we're, we're on complete two ends of the spectrum that um, we're not, we're, it's, it's, as, it's as if we're not talking the same language sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And they maybe just didn't understand the technology and 
it'll be interesting to see in the future. I'm sure some of them will see some of the work you're doing. Um, yep. Maybe one day they'll write you. I hope. I hope. Uh, what are you guys working on right now? Is is like all the progress halted at the moment, or are you guys? Not really. You know that that that's a really good point um, to raise because it it brings brings us to another uh, discussion point, which is uh, one of the advantages of this technology is you do not really need. Uh, a big amount of labor uh, work uh, to to run this uh, technology. Basically, uh, in in our our day to day um, uh, operation, uh, I'm doing the um, the uh, parametric designs uh, and the different designs of the geometries, and I'm I'm generating the the code for the robot to run the robot. But apart from that, I have two um, two uh, workers with me. Uh, helping me in the operation, uh, and because of that, it's kind of uh, today in this special situation with the coronavirus, it's it's kind of a big advantage because we don't need a lot of people. If we can maintain uh, the distance between uh, ourselves, we can still uh, continue to run the operation, uh, and that's what we're doing. Basically, we're still we are. I was still uh, in the studio today. Um, we were printing yesterday. Um, we're still running because you know we don't we don't have a big number of uh, staff that um, forces us to shut down. So yeah, that's a great point. I've worked on construction sites, and it's a lot of uh, sometimes things are heavy. You need two people to carry them, or you're passing stuff back and forth. Um, yep. And sometimes you need to be in close proximity, and there's really no way to avoid it. But with this technology, it seems like you can have engineers working even in different parts of the world on a shared drive and if they can upload the documents together only one or two people actually needs to be with the printer everyone else could be anywhere with wi-fi exactly 100 percent. so that's a really big advantage but um i guess the question is is are we going to see that advantage come into play or will it take longer for 3D printed construction to kind of like dominate the market? Will all this be in the past by then? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, I'm positive about that. I think people will understand uh, more the benefits of this technology, spe specifically when we're talking about this point. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we, we only have a one robot, but if you can imagine that we have uh, clusters of this 3D printing studio that we have. If we have three or four of them, uh, you can you can run them um, separately uh, in in a completely uh, safe environment, um, and and you can still completely uh, run your operation without having to stop. Uh, so that I, I hope that's one one of the things that will come uh, as a benefit from the situation. Do you think that 30% of all buildings 3D printed by 2030 in Dubai is a realistic goal? Um, I think just to, to be more specific, I think it was 25%. Okay, yeah. Uh, in 2030. Yeah. Um, so the, the way that uh, Dubai is tackling this, uh, we're, we're also working with the Dubai Future Foundation, which is kind of uh, overseeing this uh, 3D printing technology and how it develops in, in Dubai. Uh, the way they're trying to achieve this is by reaching a certain percentage every year. 
so advancing slowly by like bits by bits uh, slowly uh, and to kind of compound uh, what we learn and, and what we can we, we know that we can do as 3D printing in the buildings. As 3D printing, 25% uh, of the buildings are 3D printed by 2030. I don't think it's a far reached goal. Uh, today we're already way more advanced than a couple of years ago uh, in this technology, and we 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 are in um, in a step where we can kind of uh, implement it on a larger scale. Um, so I think what's going to happen now is there's going to be a, it's going to take some time, but we're going to start to shift from uh, smaller scale uh, 3D printing into larger scale 3D printing. We are already considered okay large 3D concrete printing scale compared to your plastic uh, printing, but still there's an, an, ex, an extra step to take it. Yeah. Because, like that, that big scale is by itself small scale to itself. If you compare it with itself, but there's potential for it to to expand to, into a larger, even especially larger in Dubai, actually. where they have the tallest building in the world. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. If it's uh, one place where it's gonna happen, I, I think it's gonna have it's gonna be in Dubai. Uh, I think so too. Uh, and I I think 25% it's it's achievable. And and when we talk about 25%, it's not necessarily concrete. Uh, just for you to know, it could be any kind of other materials. It could be, for example, that. Uh, you know, accessories in, in the building, uh, doorknobs, um, uh, window frames, uh, any kind of uh, building component, it could be part of that 25%. Of course, concrete would occupy the largest because it's just, um, you know, the, 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 how do you call it? The amounts of concrete that you are using in a building are, are big. And it's yeah, you could say maybe the most abundant. Yeah, there you go, exactly. It's, it's the most abundant and it's also, it's the, one of the materials that you can uh, achieve a big, um, um, the, I don't want to say scale, I want to say volume, volume. It's the material that you can achieve really high volumes in, in lower, uh, a low amount of time, concrete. Yeah, so would that measurement um, of 25% of the building be by volume or mass? Um, I think it's, it's going to be, I, I, re I really don't know. It could be either. Or by cost. I feel, I, I, I feel it's going to be by volume. Um, because look, today you can print a, a two meter uh, by one meter wall with which is thickness of um, 15 centimeters uh, in 3D. And that will occupy a certain space in your building. But it doesn't need to be 100% uh, full inside. You can have it hollow. Uh, to 50% or 40% hollow, and you can still achieve that, uh, occupy that volume, right? So what I think, what I feel, it's it's most appropriate is to to have it as a volume uh, instead of mass, uh, because then it will be occupying a certain space around you. Uh, but we will see, we will see how it's going to be calculated again. So it gets very hot in Dubai, I understand. How do you deal with yep. the insulation? Um, so, you know, like today we're still using uh, typical insulation methods uh, with 3D concrete printing. Um, one of the aspects that we are trying to really address is the thermal bridging between the different components. Because we are printing, uh, you know, different uh, like modules or different kind of uh, segments uh, and we're assembling on, on site. So you have those always there's a connection between the two pieces whether it's vertical connection or horizontal connection. 
And one of the challenges was the thermal bridging and how do we make sure to, to insulate properly uh, the, the, the whole building, uh, mm -hmm. the envelope of the building. So there are different types of insulation materials also that could serve better uh, for 3D concrete printing. Uh, we're looking at, for example, uh, foam, uh, expanded foam insulation, which kind of uh, expands and fills up your, your cavities. Uh, and, the, and the reason why we're um, using, uh, using it as one of the insulation materials is because we try to achieve those cavities to reduce the, the amount of infill, to have a lighter structure, and to only uh, enable the, the structural to work uh, within the capacity it was designed for. Uh, so many times we could end up with 50%, for example, uh, hollow uh, spaces inside. So we, we, with expanded foam, you can easily um, occupy those, uh, those areas. Um, so that's, that's one of the things we're looking at. Uh, but it, it, is, it is still a challenge. Interesting. So have you experimented much with putting windows in? Or doors? Uh, yes. So for the project that we're working with, it's a small building, around uh, 65 square meters, uh, one-story building where we have a lot of doors and a lot of windows. Um, so to be honest, because we are doing uh, smaller modules and, and bringing them, stacking them together, at the end of the day, we will still um, have, as a traditional uh, building would have, we would still have that opening where we would insert our uh, window frame or a door frame. So it's still, it's not a challenge for us um, because we're not, uh, we're not printing on site. But if you would be printing on site, for example, you would need to uh, probably uh, have support under your opening uh, and then print on top of that and then remove the support to be able to insert your window frame or door frame. And so what do you generally use as a support? Um, we do not use, we don't need support because as I mentioned, we're doing, uh, like segments, prefabricated, uh, wall segments, and then mm -hmm. stacking them together on site. Uh, so we, we find ways, of course we need, many times we need to use scaffolding and, and propping systems to hold, uh, the lintels, for example. Uh, but then after we, uh, fix the lintels in place, uh, you can remove your scaffolding and then you can put your window frame. Okay, so here's a question I like to ask people that I do this video call with. Is there anything that you've printed that you keep in your house? Uh, yeah, you want to see it? Yeah, sure. It's a small, it's a small, uh, funny, funny thing. Of course, uh, of course, uh, because uh, concrete is heavy, so it's not easy just to, to get uh, yeah. some of the pieces. But one of my favorite pieces is this one. Cool. So that's basically um, a drop of concrete coming from the nozzle. Uh, if you would have the nozzle like that, uh, elevated from the principal floor. Oh, and you, you splat on the ground. This is just one drop that dropped from the from the robot while while he was moving, and when it dropped on the on the floor, it just still had that motion of the robot with it, because the robot was moving in this in this direction. Yeah. And then when it dropped, it just left that uh, shape and dried out. So I, I keep this at home. Yeah, it's like a paperweight or a nice sculpture, exactly. small sculpture. Exactly, exactly. I just love it. And I yeah. just keep it here. That's funny. Um, some people do, some people don't keep something with them. 
uh, it's very clear that you're like, you have a passion for the work that you're doing. Thanks. Uh, thanks for saying that. Appreciate it. Is I there, do, I, do you like feel that like really helps you with your work? Like, does the work feel like work? Of course, of course. That's uh, because, because uh, as you said, because it, it, it is a passion for me. It, it, it doesn't really feel like, uh, of course it's work. You know, at the end of the day, we have projects that we need to deliver and we have stressful moments and, and periods where I need to uh, work extra hours to deliver uh, certain deliverables. But still on, on a day-to-day -day basis, because it's a passion, it makes it much easier for me to, to do. And I enjoy it and, I, and I, I'm always excited to, to come up with new solutions. Um, and, it, and, it, and, I, and I like it and I really, uh, like it because... With, with a new technology that you are working with, uh, you have a lot of problems uh, to solve and a lot of questions that uh, they don't have answers or the answers do not exist. And because of that, um, I, I, really I really enjoy it because I, I'm always faced with the new challenges and new questions and problems that we need to solve. And we look at some different solutions, what's, what's the best way to tackle it and, and address it. And we come up with a solution. And when the solution works, I'm the happiest person alive. Yeah, I'm sure it can be very struggling at times to get to that solution. Um, like with all engineering, there's always a lot of like trial error. Um, yeah. But with all the progress you guys are making, I'm sure there, there was a huge learning curve. And now you're almost at a point where you can, um, sounds like you can make a pretty complicated design and have a good idea of whether or not it's going to print well. Um, yep. So when you come up with a new design now, uh, when I'm 3D printing stuff, even if I'm downloading models from the internet that I know worked for other people, the print doesn't always work for me. So there's, I run into issues all the time. Uh, and with plastic, it's easy for me to just like take the print off, throw the half plastic piece in the trash. Um, but if you're printing something big with concrete and you run into some mistake, that's a like thousand pound piece of material that you need to get rid of. So how do you guys deal with that? How like, have you just reached a point where there's not so many mistakes anymore or are you crumbling a lot of old concrete? Yep, definitely. In the first uh, months and the first periods, we were, uh, we had to throw a lot of concrete um, and, and mainly, you know, it's either uh, learning from the geometry that we are trying to build or it was, it came to do due to the material itself because the material itself was still under development. But after that uh, period of time, the six months that I talked about for developing the material, we were only more um, faced with the, with the failure of the geometries. But slowly, uh, with experience, uh, day in and day out, we know now the limitations and we, we don't run into a lot of uh, failures in, in geometries. Uh, and if we do, uh, we are trying to develop uh, some sustainable solutions where we can recycle that concrete uh, and reuse it um i don't know if you saw that picture on on linkedin uh with the new yeah you you did mention that you saw it with the new um, uh, facade the 3d yeah. printed facade if you look in front of the facade on the ground you actually see small um like uh chunks of concrete if you open it uh, in front of you I, I can describe it to you you see small chunks of concrete basically that's uh, recycled 3d concrete printing uh, concrete oh like gravel Yes, gravel. So we, so we managed to take uh, some of the waste and uh, uh, run it into gravel uh, to be able to utilize it instead of throwing it away. 
Yeah, that's a good way to recycle it pretty quickly without having to process it uh, more than just crumbling it. Yeah. How do you yeah, crumble yeah. it though? With like a sledgehammer? Um, we have all, all sorts of uh, equipment, like heavy, heavy duty equipment in our yard. So, uh, so it's mostly automated. Is, it, it's, it's crushing, cr crushing it into smaller uh, pebbles. Yeah. In, uh, in old American movies and cartoons, they always have like jails where people are in a jail yard with a hammer, just like crushing up big rocks or something mm -hmm. for gravel. Um, I don't know if they do that anymore, but. So I don't know why I thought of that. Anyway, so you're personally deeply invested in parametric design. Um, where do you see yourself kind of like expanding in the future? Do you think you're going to continue to have expertise in parametric design or will you kind of like dedicate your experience to 3D concrete printing? Like where do you, where do you see yourself going? The thing is, like, I don't see them as two separate things. Mm -hmm. I think they're 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 very well connected, uh, and and to be able to excel in one one of the one of the directions, you need to also excel in the other. Uh, so I am I see myself as uh, more exploring more uh, techniques and more uh, ways uh, to utilize these tools uh, because it's a it's a vast ocean of tools that you can use, um, and of course uh, more maybe more focused into the architectural. Uh, way of it, so how, how to bring the whole archite architectural uh, concept uh, together with, with these techniques. Um, so I hope, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope, you know, these new developments um, happen with, with, the, with 3D concrete printing, uh, if it's going large scale, utilizing more tools uh, and, and so on, and, and I think with those also as a kind of advancement, it, it pushes you also to go in certain directions. So uh, we'll have to see how, how that turns out. Do you think that most architects now are being exposed to parametric design in their education? Um, I can't really tell you like a, a definitive answer because it depends really on, on which country, which, uh, which education system and, and, and things like that. But I, I can definitely tell you that I've, I'm um, meeting more people that are interested in parametric design and are, they're more familiar with parametric design than I did before. Uh, so I think a lot of people are, are going more towards learning those uh, techniques and the, those tools and also into BIM, for example. Um, BIM is, is, is being invested heavily in uh, people have really like construction companies or, or in engineering consultants. They've really saw the benefits of BIM, um, and I, I think a lot of people are getting into BIM, and that that helps us also. Um, because if we need to go back and forth, we we need to be able to both uh, to have both parties uh, understand the same uh, working method. Sure. So when you are utilizing parametric design to to build a model, um, are there parameters that you can basically copy paste from old projects uh, with new projects and then reform it? Like I know you built yep. the chair and then you also built the like sun chair, which was like yep. a longer chair. Can you, you're able to kind of make the process easier and reuse, recycle yes, those? Definitely. Yes, definitely. So uh, in parametric design, you, it's, it's sometimes you are trying to achieve uh, the same thing 
again in a certain design. Um, and with the experience, it comes uh, to you to a point that where you can actually say, oh, I actually use this technique in this design. So instead of going and doing it all over again, you just copy that part of the code and you just paste it in your new code and you just uh, build on top of that. So definitely it's, um, um, there are a lot of techniques and, and tricks that you learn with experience with working with parametric design. And, uh, and, and if you have 20 codes saved on the side, for sure you can pull up parts of each, uh, some of those uh, codes and, and, and use them in new codes that you're generating. Will there be a software where you can kind of make like a free form design, maybe just like draw an outline and then the parametric model can turn it into a printable wall with the interior structures or. Yep. 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 That's actually some of the codes that we are, we are, that I'm working with now. Uh, I, and some of the codes that I've developed are basically a base curve. You just need to insert uh, or draw a base curve. Uh, the, the code uh, would take it, analyze it, um, see the, the, the limitations of that uh, certain curve, for example. It could redraw uh, that curve into something um, that is actually printable or that is feasible for, for 3D printing. And then um, it would build from that uh, regenerated model, uh, curve uh, a complete model uh, ready for 3D printing. Wow, so if, it's, if it can generate an, a model that's a 3D model, and then you could import that into Revit, um, an interior designer or someone could easily make a realistic model, realistic yep. looking model of the design pretty quickly. So as far we've as- Actually, we're working with that. We, we've done that, exactly. Like you described, we've done that. We, we ex export the model into Revit and we work with it, even with the different um, disciplines. So we work with the MEP engineers, structural engineers, uh, all, all those necessary for a project. We, we pull that model, the parametric model, and we, we work with it on Revit, and we, we have all of the experts uh, uh, put in their, their information and their, their, their... Yeah, when people uh, think about the construction cost savings and time savings for 3D printed construction, I think mostly they're thinking about the savings of having a printer laying the cement versus having a person stack bricks or blocks, whatever it is. Um, I think a lot of people glaze over these kind of more engineering concepts that involve the software and how much time savings it is for someone to be able to just download a 100% accurate 3D model versus having to take maybe a 2D floor plan or something like that and design the model from the ground up from Reddit. Um, Definitely. If you were to give an estimate of the time savings just from like the before construction side, when you implement softwares like this, how much time is saved from the engineer's perspective? It's a uh, it's, it's, it's large amount of time saved. Um, just the fact that you, can, you don't need to uh, remodel um, a design from a simple comment from the client. Uh, imagine the amount of time that you are saving there. If you can just uh, just enter a new number into a into a parameter and just have that fixed there. I would say at least you are saving fifty percent of the time, at least uh, from not having to regenerate the models from uh, from from the uh, from the regeneration of the mo uh, the geometries, uh, the techniques that we are using to to generate print codes and and so on. Uh, to jump from 
design to production it's it's uh it's 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 insane like you're saving a lot of time we had a project where we we had a client come in uh to to talk together about a certain design um, of geometries uh, outdoor furniture and sculptures um, and we were literally literally from that day uh, two weeks ahead we were literally um, delivering the project wow. in two weeks time and that's that's never heard of before uh, having uh, to sit down with a client um, and in two weeks time you're actually delivering the project uh, so that's the benefit of, of these technologies. They, they push um, so fast the, 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 the time between design um, um, and production. Yeah, especially considering how young the industry is of parametric design and automated construction. Um, it's incredible that it, those time benefits are already being realized when they're only going to increase in the future. Like as fast as it is now, it's only going to get faster, of course. Nothing's going to slow it down. Um, so it's going to be incredible to see the difference that it makes. I guess the goal that Dubai has becomes extremely realistic if there's a cost effectiveness behind the 3D printing mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the municipalities printed that building the two floor building and you guys did your building with the facade are other big organizations in Dubai trying to do 3d printed construction right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a general theme in Dubai. Uh, you know, normally the, the governmental uh, institutes are also uh, trying to go in the same direction uh, of the vision. So uh, we get a lot of uh, interest from, uh, or a lot of, uh, we have a lot of conversations and discussions with different uh, ministries, uh, trying to understand and trying to see where where they can add a benefit to their projects in utilizing these technologies. Um, so I, def I definitely think uh, a lot of people are trying to, to invest in understanding and implementing part of their projects in this technology. Um, and that's that's a really important step by the way, because um, that step by itself, it's kind of like, uh, also involves an, uh, kind of, uh, awareness, spreading awareness, uh, to, to the clients and the designers, because we, we also faced a problem uh, many times that we go into conversations with some clients uh, and designers and, um, they just think that we can print anything, like literally print anything that we want. But again, we, we, we try to educate them and, and, uh, uh, tell them, okay, this is our restrictions. Uh, we can't print everything. There are certain uh, criteria for a design. Uh, we need to stick to this kind of parameters, this kind of uh, restrictions and so on. So it's also something that we invest a lot of energy and time in is like trying to educate the market and trying to educate uh, all of the other uh, parties involved on what is actually 3D printing and what, what can we achieve with it. Um, so that's the first phase. That needs to be passed and then after that phase you, you actually really you can really have a conversation about uh, something that is 3d printed yeah i was about to ask you a question along those lines like how often do people contact you with unrealistic expectations all time every time uh, almost every single time yeah 
because they just want something huge or yeah but, but it's also because of the a lot of claims from uh, some of the the companies some of the startups and the 3d concrete print, printing companies i've seen videos saying that you can print something in 48 hours 24 hours whatever for three thousand dollars or something come on let's be realistic that's that's never gonna happen that's never the case and that's never gonna happen um you know the, the, these these kind of um information it's what's what's spreading on social media and what that's what people say and the, sorry that's what people see that's what people come to us and and claim They're like what are you talking about you need two months to print me a, a small building i i've seen a video that says in, in 48 hours they printed the whole thing and the problem is those are the videos that get all the views uh, oh, yeah, yeah. they get like millions of views when they get make kind of like maybe unrealistic promises um yeah. and inflating expectations yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of good for the industry because it makes more people aware of it. I think like most people, that's the only exposure they get for it. Um, yeah, so yeah, just like spreading awareness is good, but at the same time to set all those expectations at that level, maybe unrealistic. Um, yeah. I mean, it's certainly unrealistic. If it was true, then you would see so many houses and whatever being 3d printed right now. Yeah. Whereas obviously millions of people saw that video saying you could like 3d print a house for four thousand dollars or whatever and uh there's like less than maybe a dozen of them yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, like the way that that it affected us it was uh, kind of it had a negative effect uh those kind of claims because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to do something realistic uh and do something uh, honest and, and uh, something that our clients can trust uh, but then when, when you have all of those claims floating around, it makes just our, our job a bit more difficult to try to convince people what the reality, reality is. Um, yeah, that's so, a big difference between a company that's kind of like more mature uh, and has a lot of experience like B6 and like a startup that's just trying to generate hype for themselves. Um, yeah, B6 doesn't need to do so much publicity because they already have tremendous network of clients experience and repertoire um yeah I, I can definitely imagine it wasting a ton of time when people go to you and you go through all the details and contact maybe have hour-long conversations and then realize at the end of the day their expectations are just unrealistic and it's not yeah. going to come to fruition i'm sure that's frustrating um but hopefully i guess with time the market will come to understand where the technology is, I guess. Um, it's kind of a reason that I like to do these videos is so that people can get like a deeper understanding from people like you who are like actually working with the technology hands on. And ultimately, if they're interested in doing a project, be able to contact you with some like understanding of what's going on rather than just the two minute video clip that they saw on Facebook. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I could totally see the frustration. I first discovered 3D printed construction from one of those videos. So I have okay. to like appreciate it a little bit uh, just mm -hmm. for like exposing me to it. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, $4,000 for a house, definitely not a, not a realistic claim. No, you, would, you would definitely see all people already living in those houses. That was, I, would, I would buy that house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want I don't, I don't, uh, pay rent, uh, crazy amounts of rent, if I can get a house for $4,000. You know, so, yeah. so you live right in Dubai? 
yes, I live in uh, in Dubai, in Dubai Marina. Uh, if you want to see a view where I where I'm living from, it's like oh wow, that's beautiful. Marina. Yep. So this is the Dubai Marina. Uh, it's a really uh, really nice area. Uh, a lot of expats live here. Um, um, there's everything here. Uh, and it's just nice that here it's, it's really kind of isolated from the from the main street, so it's really quiet. Uh, you can walk downstairs. You have all of the facilities. You have all, anything that you want. Uh, yeah, Dubai. I, I, I love Dubai. I love living in Dubai. Uh, I love the vision that uh, the the leaders of Dubai have. Uh, how to push the country forward, how, how to be the, the leaders uh, in different uh, technologies and this, different sectors in the world. It just, just makes you feel that you are part of that evolution, that part of that uh, uh, development that's been happening. And, and that's what I really like about living in Dubai. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm definitely planning on trying to visit Dubai when I can. Uh, I don't know when that's going to oh. be exactly because yeah, of the you should, definitely, you should definitely let me know when you're uh, when you uh, when you visit and I'll I can show you around our uh, printing facility uh, even around Dubai yeah that would be awesome thank you so where are you originally from I'm from Jordan Jordan yes and English is not your first language then uh, no, Arabic is my first language, actually. Um, but you know, we we learn English in uh, from uh, from from kindergarten, from even kinder. As far as I remember, from kindergarten in, in Jordan, uh, we learn it as a kind of second second language or an additional language. Almost every uh, Jordanian that I went to with in university speaks English, can communicate in English. Different levels, of course, but uh, more or less can communicate in English. My study. Uh, my studies that I did in universities, my bachelor's degree in architecture, it was all in English. So growing up in Jordan, uh, were you exposed to a lot of conflict there? Uh, not really. Uh, Jordan is one of the more uh, calm, calmer countries in the region. You never really uh, hear a lot about Jordan in, in the news in terms of conflict. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that we've been blessed with. Uh, in comparison to some of our neighbors. Yeah, Jordan is right next to Israel, right? Uh, yes, it's just next to, uh, so Palestine is on the west, the west, uh, west bank of the, of the River Jordan, and then Jordan is in the, on the east bank. So uh, we have Jordan, uh, Palestine, Syria on the north, Iraq on the east, and then uh, Saudi Arabia from the south. That's fascinating that Jordan manages to stay out of trouble with all those neighbors. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Because there's so much conflict in that area, but you're right. Like you never really hear Jordan. On almost every single border, except the Saudi border, we there are conflicts. Uh, but uh, Jordan has managed to do well. So you left mostly just uh, for university. So I did. Uh, so I am also like. Part of my uh, living lifestyle is exploring different different countries and destinations. So cool. during my bachelor's degree, I did spend one year in Germany. Um, I did my master's degree in Barcelona, Spain. Um, in those two different experiences, I, I got the chance to learn German uh, from living in Germany, and I got a chance to learn Spanish from living in Barcelona. Wow. Um, yeah. 
and then I, I did uh, work in Doha, Qatar uh, for that project, the Doha Metro project. And then uh, I met my wife, uh, who she's from, she's from uh, Slovakia. Uh, so I had to move to Slovakia, uh, where I lived together with her for uh, around one year and a half. Uh, I did try to learn Slovak, but Slovak is it's really difficult language for me, so uh -huh. I didn't really do well, as I did in Germany or Spain. Uh, and then eventually uh, we ended up moving here to Dubai. Wow, you're extremely well traveled. So you speak four languages. Yes. Yep. Uh, English, Arabic, uh, German, uh, and Spanish. Spanish not so fluent, but uh, a good level, and uh, very big, uh, like extremely a beginner in Slovak language. Is there a lot of um, like international conversation going on with B63 international clients that you have to utilize those languages with or? Um, not really, unfortunately, unfortunately not. Um, it seems that English is, is the universal business language these days. So the majority of the people, because uh, in, in a certain team you would have uh, different people from different countries and the only uh, language the in common between uh, different teams of different companies would be English. So we mainly use English. So Dubai, not a lot of people are actually from Dubai originally. It's a lot of uh, foreigners. Yes, uh, there's a big percentage of expats uh, living here in Dubai. I'm not sure about the, the percentage, but uh, could be 50 or 50 percent or above 50 percent. And so you're saying among the expats, primarily English is spoken because that's like common. Exactly. Cause you have, you have people from, um, uh, Eastern Asia, you have people from the Middle East, you have people from Europe, from Americas. Uh, so English at the end of the day and Africa, I don't want to forget Africa. If there's any African, uh, countries uh, watching, they're going to be mad, but, uh, you know, like you have all those uh, people from different countries and, and backgrounds. So English is the, is the one language that unifies us. Yeah, there is one company I know of um, that's doing 3D printed construction, an African company uh, that okay. I've seen so far. They. Oh, okay. Do you know the name? Um, I do know the name. I let me pull it up. Because I've seen your video uh, with the uh, the companies around the world that are doing 3D concrete printing. Yeah, it's called 3D Print Crete. 3D Print Crete. Uh, I had the that one first video with 30 companies and then i did a second video with 28 more um oh, okay okay yeah, yeah i remember 3d print crete was in the second video uh yeah they had a project they just printed like basically a circle it wasn't very complicated and you couldn't really see the printer either i think it was a okay. probably gantry style printer mm -hmm. um yeah i would say b6 3d is quite a bit more advanced than uh the progress that they're making there um, so I guess Dubai is really going to be the concentration for 3d printed construction in the next like five to 10 years, certainly. Um, uh, so yeah, I guess you picture yourself staying there for a while. Yep. Yep. I would and, love to see, uh, you know, this, this, uh, technology where it's going to head. Yeah. How long do you think before you move into a, 3D printed house potentially? Uh, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, five years, five to seven years? Yeah, that's a pretty realistic time frame, I think. 
um, especially if you're willing to kind of be an early adopter. Exactly. Exactly. That's all, always, there's a question if you're willing to be an early adopter. Yeah. So Hi. you mentioned that the material that you use um, has a high heat potent or can uh, withstand high temperatures. Yep. Can they withstand high enough temperatures to be used for like a fireplace? Uh, I don't really know. Do you know the temperatures that the fireplace would typically reach? Um, to be safe, say maybe 700 Celsius. 700 Celsius. Oh, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest. I don't know. That's pretty high. Um, maybe that's a bit high. I, I don't, I don't, the thing is about the 3D concrete is, is, uh, it's also very similar to the normal concrete in, in some ways. So um, whatever kind of applies to your normal concrete would uh, generally also apply to 3D concrete. Yeah, generally they would make a fireplace uh, with brick instead yeah, of exactly. concrete. Um, but I guess you can't really print in a brick material. Mm -mm, not really. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean. You could, uh, you, could, you could 3D print a fireplace and clad it with bricks. Uh, just on a single layer, for example, uh, there is like there are ways to you know achieve something uh, using like a hybrid technique sometimes. So that could be one of the ways to do it. How challenging is it to print something that holds water? Um, it is quite challenging because uh, the material that we are using is not that strong in, in tensile uh, forces. So if you have a large volume of water, uh, your the pressure is outward is too much. Yeah, could could easily crack. Um, it also depends on the design, right? If you if you could manage to design something that has a, a really thick and sturdy uh, perimeter, uh, that could be something that would uh, hold more amounts. Of, but if you're talking about a single layer uh, structure, uh, it wouldn't hold much. So. What kind of people do you think the 3D printed construction industry needs to advance right now? Like, do you need more engineers, more materials experts, more software experts? Which is like the, which space needs the most, uh, more people? We, we, we need definitely a, a lot of movement to be happening in the um, equipment uh, side. Of 3D printing, uh, the mixing machines, the nozzles, uh, the communication between the robot and the mixer, because sometimes you need to stop and start again. Uh, that is still uh, uh, not something that we have. Um, uh, and, and also, of course, you need uh, the experts um, and, and the software. I would say the software are there. Uh, they are really sufficient to be used for 3D concrete printing. Um, you would need a lot of uh, the experts. Uh, second thing I would say that the experts you need the engineer, new engineers and, and, and designers to an architect even to understand the potential and, and the restrictions of, of this technology. Sure. So at this point, you guys have done a ton of prints and I guess developed almost like a catalog of what your printer is capable of. Do you are you selling those prints or still just in like an experimentation phase? No, no, definitely, definitely. We're in a phase where we are selling to clients uh, some of the designs. 
I'm not sure if you saw one of the one of the projects that we had. Um, it was like a sculptural project. Yeah. Uh, where we where we did a, a hybrid between plastic and 3D concrete printing, uh, and we had it displayed here in one of the art uh, art events in Dubai, in a really uh, central location. Uh, so we are we are producing uh, final products to different kind of clients. So do you? picture b6 ever like releasing that catalog of um printable projects or any or either for profit yeah, we, we are uh, actually finalizing if not we have finalized uh, a, a website for uh, b6 3d where we are uh, publishing all of those projects and the catalog of, of products that we are able to print so i mean maybe one month time or two months time uh, we have we have it up and, and running Really cool. And will that include the STL files, or it'll just be like a little bio about each? Oh, I don't. I don't think it. It uh, will include the STL file. It will just include, you know, the photos, the description uh, of the project, uh, the potential, probably uh, where you can uh, tweak tweak things. Uh, but uh, yeah, in a in a way to be able to 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 showcase, you know, what we can do and what we can print. Yeah, I think that ultimately there'll be some company that has the business model of just like having the designs where people can like download them, buy the design, mm -hmm. and just if they already have a printer, go ahead and print it. Obviously, yep. there aren't really enough printers for that to be like a profitable business model yet. Um, exactly. Yeah, but it, it is an interesting idea. Yeah. yeah, especially since it seems like a big part of like your expertise is in the software and the design part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be really interesting if the, because it has the parametric design, it has like the sliders, like you said, but yeah. you need to have a deep level of understanding to kind of get into the software and go into the nodes and know the correct sliders and parameters to change. Um, yes, yes, yes. I guess it'd be interesting if the software could somehow create a user interface that allows a less experienced person to look at a model yeah. and be able to. So, I would. Uh, there are there are already existing uh, softwares uh, that you're describing, and we we already actually experimented with them. Uh, and I can give you the name, um, and you can check it out. It's it's exactly like you're describing. It enables anyone just to play around with the sliders and uh, what is it called? I think it's called Shape Diver. I will check for you. Yes, so if you go to uh, shapediver.com, it's a really interesting company. Um, I think they have some of these. Uh, so yeah, you can you can go to the homepage and, and under the menu, you can check the products and then 3D production, 3D uh, configurators. So these are exactly that you're mentioning. You can, as a, even as a, a beginner, you can just play around with the nodes and create your uh, parametric models uh, almost instantaneously. Yeah, wow, that's really cool. And then it allows people to use kind of like virtual reality to see what it would look like. Oh, I think there. That's. I, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's part of this uh, software, but uh, I'm pretty sure there are other companies uh, doing that. Shapediver.com. Yes, Shapediver.com. 
Uh, yeah, I'm on it right now. It says 3D visualization for product configurators. Okay, yeah. the configurator on, on part. The, on the left side, uh, if you go on menu and then go to uh, product, um, and uh, under product, you find the 3D product configurators. Wow, so you guys are actively kind of using technology like this? Uh, yeah, we were in touch with uh, with uh, ShapeDiver uh, to see how we can also utilize some of those uh, interfaces. Because really, it, it brings the connection between uh, us, the, the designers, uh, and the users. Because uh, it gives also gives them freedom to to uh, to play around and and produce some geometry. It's like the old saying. Um, if you give a man a fish, he'll have food for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll have food for life. Yeah. So this software almost gives you, it teaches people how to fish if they can adjust the sliders and uh, yeah. changes themselves. Like an architect or designer could come up with a model for a table or a desk. And then a person could download that model and then resize it so that it shares the like design style that the architect originally had in mind but now fits the custom space that, uh, that a client had in mind. And so it's yeah, like, exactly. they don't have to be the creative part. They don't have to be the creative influence in the design, but they do get all the benefits of the customization at zero time cost to the initial designer. That's exactly true, yeah. I don't know but if also, uh, a lot of people understand that concept yet. I mean, I'm really only beginning to grasp the value of that uh, after having conversations like this, but I really think that most people who are even looking into this space and considering it are overlooking that added advantage and like not really grasping, um, not really grasping what it means in reality. Like it's one thing to talk about a concept, a desk that you can download and custom print. That all sounds very futuristic and kind of imaginary, but like we're kind of already there right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's it's more about exposure uh, and and uh, being able to deliver that uh, that message to, to to a wider audience and spreading it out. Yeah, that's kind of a tricky part um, when the audience wants like very specific things, like the four thousand dollar house. Um, yeah. It's like I guess it'll really take some uh, serious education for the masses to understand the technology has b6 3d tried to create like tools for education so like you're dealing with so many people that have maybe unrealistic expectations um do you have personal conversations with all those people ironing out the issues or do you send them like a resource we we do uh, we do have mainly we have conversations because we do like uh, personal personal meetings with them, uh, you know, to just bring awareness to the technology, what's it all about, you know, if they have a certain uh, design or an idea that they want to uh, implement, we kind of give them feedback on it. Uh, so it's a more interactive way uh, than just like you know sending them a, a manual saying what you can do and what you can't do. And, and the conversation is also important to have always, you know. Uh, it, it kind of builds up that relationship also. Yeah, certainly. Even if they have unrealistic expectations, maybe the technology will get there in the future or... Yeah. Seems uh, certainly intriguing.
So what's, um, what's like one of the biggest challenges that you guys faced in the development? Uh, I would say like personally, the, the biggest challenge was the, uh, the education, like to edu edu educating people, educating designers and architects, but, but having that conversation, um, that was the biggest challenge because oftentimes uh, we, we ran into a situation where we, we are working on a, a specific project for a client that uh, eventually we come to a conclusion that it's not feasible, uh, it's not cost, that there's no cost benefit uh, behind it, and uh, we, we have to completely um, uh, abandon that project, for example. So that was the hardest thing, that, that pushing and trying to make something happen and then it, it not happening because of the, the, the way that the design was uh, proposed. I think now what we need to, what people are, are realizing and what we're trying to, to teach uh, the, the audience is that let's start together um, from, from the from the ground, from the zero point uh, and come up with a design together in, in comparison to having a design sitting in your shelf for years or months and then you suddenly want to have it 3D printed because you know 3D printing can do anything. So um, I hope that we, we enter that stage where we can collaborate together, together from the beginning to kind of uh, come up with a design that is feasible. So I guess two common problems I can imagine are maybe people want to build things either too high or they want to build on too much of an angle. Um, what other issues would arise? Um, yeah, yeah, probably like also like having the openings, uh, openings in the in the wall structures, for example, uh, because it's really having it's really difficult to have openings, um, especially if they're not a box 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 shaped openings. If it's yeah. a circular opening, uh, like how are you gonna how are you gonna achieve that uh, opening in a three D printed wall? It's really difficult to achieve it uh, because it's it's not like plastic. In three D plastic printers, you you're probably familiar. You can either you can either use support material to fill that void and print on top of it, or you can because just because of the properties of plastics, uh, you can build up that uh, kind of inclination and that curvature to to make the circle. But in concrete, it does it's not the case. Uh, so that's the the things that the restrictions in the in the in the production uh, itself, the material itself, and the the expectations what the, the people are uh, proposing. Sure. And then what about, um, do a lot of people contact you with projects where they want to include like electrical or plumbing in the project? Of course, of course, of course. Because like it's like part of an architectural project uh, typically would be those uh, disciplines. So we always, um, uh, we're always uh, faced with those questions and we've, we've developed some uh, some solutions also from those. So are the solutions based off of traditional methods, um, like having the wire be on the exterior of the concrete? Um, or is there like any re cool developments going on where you could maybe have the wire in the concrete or? So yeah, we definitely, uh, we, we had to, um, um, use both uh, techniques, uh, newer techniques and traditional techniques. 
and, and one of those techniques were to actually embed it within the wall, within the 3D printed wall. Um, today, you, you, you see most of the projects are uh, all of the, all of the uh, um, services are exposed and uh, kind of attached to the wall from outside. Why? Because it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and you don't really need to pre-coordinate it. But what we're trying to do, we're also trying to, to push that uh, part of the project. So we have actually embedded services in the walls, uh, which we're really happy that we went into that direction because we learned a lot. And also we have some kind of traditional ways of uh, services. Uh, it really depends sometimes. You, you, there are um, aspects that you can um, embed and some, some that you cannot or different kind of restrictions. So. Whenever we have the possibility, we are trying to push it uh, more towards having something more advanced. Yeah, that's really cool. A lot of companies are kind of ignoring the the plumbing or the electric, and they're just yeah. building a structure and then do using plumbing and electric as like an afterthought, saying like, okay, we built this. How do we include the electric and plumbing? Whereas I guess um, having more experience with general contracting, maybe you guys have the wisdom to do kind of implement that as you go, knowing that it's going to ultimately be a critical part of the job. Definitely, definitely. Right now, do you think that having the those kind of utilities in the wall, is that practical yet? Or is it still more practical to use the exterior? Does that need more development? Um, it, it is practical today. Uh, it is practical today. Uh, of course, you know, because we are still using traditional uh, services, like you're still using the same conduits, the same piping, the same everything, the fixtures. Uh, we, we have to adapt it, uh, or actually we have to adapt our 3D printing systems uh, to, to those traditional uh, fixtures or, or pipings. Um, but what could happen, uh, for instance, is that uh, those uh, companies specialized in, in mechanical, electrical, and plumbing services, they could also develop uh, specialized uh, fixtures and pipings for 3D printing. Um, but whenever we have a possibility to, to use, as I mentioned, we are trying to use it uh, as it is traditional. And sometimes when it just doesn't fit because they just there's no way to make them uh, go together, we, we have them to expose them. And you also have to adhere to the building code? Of course, yeah. Yep. Sure. Is that a big challenge? That is a big challenge, uh, yeah. Um, mainly because there are no uh, actual codes that exist today for 3D printed buildings. So to kind of find um, a segment where you would classify 3D printed uh, structures and, and, and services in, um, that is still also a challenge for us, um, and it takes some time. It takes some time, and a lot of back and forth with the with the government and government uh, uh, offices and, and so on. Yeah, do they have time for that? Like, are they willing to look at your designs and like give course, you guys? They're yeah, interested in the technology. For sure. I mean, the thing is, because it's Dubai and because there's a vision, uh, they're kind of um, accommodating, accommodating to it, and they have to. Uh, because if, if we do not start today, um, we will never be able to reach that percentage uh, at the end. So there's a lot of uh, uh, positive feedback that we're, we're facing. And there's also still the challenges of uh, how, to, how to get it properly 
um, understood and classified within a certain uh, certain kind of structure. Uh, one thing, uh, Jared. Um, so I'm fasting Ramadan. I don't know if you're familiar, you're familiar with Ramadan. Yeah. And actually, uh, in five minutes, uh, I'm supposed to break my fast. It's almost like 7 p.m. So if you don't mind, we'll have to stop it here. But I'm more than happy to to finish it off or continue any any later time if you're if you would like to. All right, that's fine. I think we had a really great conversation. Uh, we actually got through all my questions. Um, I it's like a celebration to break the fast of Ramadan, right? Uh, yeah, like you know, because every day uh, I'm fasting from three thirty. Uh, no, it's four fifteen a.m. to seven p.m. Uh, so every day. Uh, I've been doing it for the last three weeks, and this is the next week is the last week. It's almost like a month. Uh, so yeah, like I'm pretty hungry and thirsty, and uh, I'm excited to break the fast. Well, thank you for the time you give me. Um, enjoy your meal very much, so much, and I'll definitely be in touch. We'll talk about future sure, sure. projects. I'm more than happy to stay in touch and, and uh, talk about uh, all of the new developments. All right, nice talking to you. Yeah, same, 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 uh, Jared. All right, later we'll, on. We'll stay in touch. See you, bye. -bye.